You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Welcome back to another episode of A Bigger Life. Now, we call this podcast A Bigger Life because I'm convinced that one of the reasons why people find it hard to live the Christian life, find God boring, too boring to want to pursue rather than other things is because we get caught up in the wrong narrative. We get caught up in a smaller story, and that smaller story takes on a larger reality in our lives that makes the Christian life seem unrealistic, too unrealistic to live out. And so a bigger life means that we are entering into an understanding and getting back into the bigger story, the bigger narrative that God calls us into and that the entire Bible is about. And the more we understand that bigger story, the more compelling the Christian life becomes, the more compelling Christ becomes, the more we desire to follow him, the more we desire to sacrifice for him, to make him our king, to make him our God. And there's nothing that we would not be willing to lay aside in order to follow Christ because Christ is the bigger story. He is the greater joy. He is the true king and the creator of this universe and the glory of of God that overshadows and overwhelms any smaller glory, any smaller narrative that we're tempted to live. And we're constantly being bombarded by these smaller narratives. And so we have to get ourselves in the Word of God and to meditate on the Word of God written by the Holy Spirit in order to bring this bigger story in our lives. That's what we're doing here in this podcast. We're looking at verses in the Bible that we eventually pray through because praying through it does something to us. It it, it, it it brings the scripture into our lives and into our spirit and into our mind, into our heart, and into our soul in ways that merely reading it cannot do. And I found that to be true in my Christian life, and that's what I've been trying to share in these episodes of A Bigger Life. I want to look today at Psalm 66. It's not one of those psalms that's on the Bible's greatest hits. Uh, it's a psalm that you would read and think, yeah, that's good. But when we start to really soak in it and start to stop and notice words, think about words, think about phrases, and let that begin to produce a plant of truth and a plant of desire in our heart, it it has a power to it. I found that to be true with Psalm 66. It starts off simply saying something that we would expect. Verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Now we might think, okay, that's just a an old psalm. It's an old way of looking at language. It's about 3,000 years old, old way of looking at the Christian life or the faithful life. But there's a lot in here that is so contemporary to the gospel and so contemporary to the bigger story if we just stop and notice. And the first thing I'd like to notice is the command for us to shout for joy to God, all the earth, that all the earth has been created by God. This entire universe has been created by God. And the more we really understand who God is, the more we will shout for joy. Joy is this hidden theme all throughout the Bible. And if we if we haven't noticed it, it is a, a theme in Jesus's teaching. 
For example, in John 15, 11, Jesus said that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, that Jesus came, that Jesus is doing what he is doing, that the whole point of Jesus's mission is that his joy the joy of God that created this universe, the God who is the source of all that exists, the God who is the giver of all life, that at the very essence of who he is, is joy. And Jesus says that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's this, that may, your joy may be matured, your joy may be perfected, that you would flourish in joy that the whole point of the Christian life, the whole end result of being a disciple of Jesus would be that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be perfected, complete, fulfilled, that his joy would be fulfilled in us. Now, we don't normally think of the Christian life that way, but that's how Jesus saw what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus prays in John seventeen thirteen, so that they may have the full measure of, of my joy within them, the full measure of my joy within them, that that was why Jesus came, that was his mission, that's what he's trying to do. This was the prayer that was sort of at the end of his life that was wrapping up his mission, wrapping up his purpose. He's praying to the Father, I'm leaving these disciples into your hands. Here's what I'm praying. Here's why I came. And one of the things that Jesus says is his mission was that his joy, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them, that you would have the full measure of Jesus's joy within you. Now, I don't know if that's how you think of your Christian life. I don't know if that's how you think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know if that's what you think, what it means to follow Jesus. And and the reason why is because there's a reality in this life that there are lots of reasons not to have joy. We have suffering. We have hardships. We have things that disappoint us, things that worry us. And real things happen to us that bring grief rather than joy. That's reality. And Jesus so talks about that. So he he talks about the reality of there's going to be a time when he is crucified, that, he is, that he's going to leave them. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but grief will turn to joy. And then he talks about it's going to be like a woman who gives birth, and that is not a a joyous occasion when she's having the contractions and going through all the pain. It's very hard. But then she has joy holding her child after it's born. That Jesus says that our life is like this, this journey that has grief, this journey that has suffering, this journey that has trials and hardship, but that the end result is joy, that the whole point will be the baby. The whole point will be the joy that comes from him into us. And this is where he's saying that your joy would be complete. He says in verse, I'm I'm reading out of John 16. And so Jesus is saying that, yeah, there's going to be grief. There's going to be hard times in this life. And the world will rejoice in ways that we won't be able to because we'll be going through suffering. But the world's rejoicing is an illusion that will end in a dead end. And our rejoicing will take full life forever. But it's also true, like this psalm says, that we can experience 
first fruits of joy in our life now, foretaste of that joy in our life now by faith, by understanding the bigger story. We can have a certain kind of joy in our life, even amidst the hardship, even amidst the struggle, even amidst the temptation to worry. And we can bring, so we have this sense of like it says in Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Even though that day is going to have hard times and struggles, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to bring this joy of God, the joy of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm going to have a certain gladness in it that I otherwise couldn't have and that nobody would really understand except that I understand the bigger story that my life is in. So when the women saw Jesus rise from the dead, they were the first to witness Jesus' resurrection. And it says in Matthew 28, 8, that the women were afraid because there's something about seeing Jesus' resurrected body. They were afraid and yet filled with joy. They were afraid yet filled with joy. And that's a little bit, I think, a good description that we believe in Jesus' resurrection. We understand the bigger story. There's a certain sense in which we're not quite sure we understand it all. There is reason to be afraid, to be anxious, to be unsettled, and yet filled with joy. Filled with the joy of who Christ is in us. So shout for joy to God, the psalm tells us to do. Sing the glory of his name, the I am, the name Yahweh, the one who is the source of all that exists and the giver of all life, the one who has always been in the present tense. There's never been a time when he has not existed. There never will be a time when he doesn't exist. And he always exists in the present tense, in our present tense. And so we glory. We have this sense of awe in his name. And that's why it says, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Awe has this sense of fear to it. They were afraid yet filled with joy. We have this awe at the creator of the universe, the God who gives us life, that holds our life together, that gives us our very breath, our heartbeat, our entire existence depends upon him. We are accountable to him with our life. We answer to him with our life. There is this sense of fear when we understand who God really is and who we really are, and yet there is this joy that comes, this awesome glorying in who God is, this afraid yet filled with joy that comes when we understand the bigger story that our life is in. So here's what I think is cool about this psalm. Verse 4, it says, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And I just, I think this is one of those verses in the Bible that you see a lot of when you see in the Old Testament these verses that talk about the future and the past tense. Even Paul does that in, in Romans chapter 8. Those he has justified, he has also glorified. Well, that glorified is a future thing. We'll be glorified in Christ when we have a resurrected body like his. But Paul talks about it in the past tense because this is good as done. God's God's the subject of that verb, and so it's going to happen. And so Paul does it in an Old Testament kind of way where he talks about the future in the past tense. And I think that's what's happening here in this psalm. It's talking about the future reality of this renewed creation, this renewed earth in our resurrected bodies, and it's talking about it in the past tense. It's giving us this glimpse of the future when all the earth worships God, all the earth 
sings praises to God. That's not happening now. That's never happened. But that will happen. And so it's talking about a time when that will be a reality. They sing praises to your name. We're going to be a part of that. This is the bigger story that our life is in. There's going to be this sense in which we will be on this renewed, restored earth of joy and glory and beauty and flourishing. It is the whole purpose for which God created this earth and created you to be in it. And there's going to be this sense in which we will live out this reality of what it means to just have this joy in the presence of God, in the presence of this glorious earth, and we will not be able to help but praise. You know, when you're really joyful about something, praise just, you can't not praise. I think of sports, you know, I'm a big sports fan. So when my team has an upset victory of a another football team and we did it in a way that was so fun to watch a touchdown pass an interception a quarterback who had a great game a running back who had a great game a receiver who had a great game a defensive player who had an the game saving interception and ran it back for a touchdown and I just am so excited and so happy I stand up I lift my hands I high five those around me I'm so joyful that I can't not praise I can't not talk about the game. I want to talk about the game with my friends afterward. I want to have I want to rejoice in that because that the glory of the win and the joy that it brought me, I can't not praise. And so I I I think of that often when I think of when I really am in the presence of God, when I really understand the joy of his glory, I'll be glorying in his glory and I won't not be able to praise. I, I know that's a double negative times 10, but I, 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 can't, I won't be able to keep myself from praising God. It's going to be just high-fiving and excited and lifting my hands because of the story that I'll see my life in on this earth that is renewed and I won't help but be able to worship and to sing praise to his name. So here's what the psalm is saying. Let's live like that now. Let's, let's live out the future now. We see ourselves in this story so we can live that praise. We can live that worship. We can live that joy. We can live that glory at his name right now. One of the things we'll say is in verse 5, come and see what God has done. This is going to be in the future. We look back at the bigger story and all the things that we don't know now and all the things that we don't realize now that God is doing and has done in the past. And there'll come a time when it all makes sense and we'll just high five and we'll rejoice at the end of the game, so to speak, the end of this story, so to speak, the beginning of a new story, of course, but we won't be able to not praise. We'll be so excited of what God has done what he has done in our life that just we, we can't not but praise. We can't not but worship. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome, it says in verse 5. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. It's like what Paul says is going to be true in 1 Corinthians 2.9 when he talks about what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There's going to be this moment that we can't even conceive. We've never seen it. We've never heard it. We can't even imagine it. And we're going to be on this earth of God's presence and God's glory and God's beauty. And we won't help but be able to praise. We won't help but be able to say, look at all that God has done. He is so awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. 
This is the future that's talked about in the past tense because it's as good as done. God has already started it with the death and resurrection of Jesus. This new creation is already afoot. He's already done it in restoring Jesus to a resurrection. It's already begun. So this psalm talks about the he turned sea into dry land and they passed through the the river on foot. He's talking about the salvation event of both the Exodus and bringing the sons of Israel, the children of Israel into the promised land. And these are all images in the Old Testament, this Psalm being written a thousand years before Jesus would come. These are images in the Old Testament foreshadowing the ultimate salvation of God in Christ, the ultimate bringing us through the waters, through death, through the trials of this exiled world of thorns and thistles and dust and death to a promised land, to this land of resurrection, to this land of restoration. That's what we will look back on then. And we will talk about this story of all that God has done for us in Christ. So verse eight, bless our God, O peoples. He's our God. Remember, that's the whole point when we get to Revelation 21, Revelation 22, I will be their God. They will be my people. That's always been the covenant promise. God will be with us. He is our God. He is committed to us forever. When God is your God, there will never be a time when he is not because God is forever. He is the I am. He will always be your shield, always be your protector, always be your provider, always be the one that glories your life and that you that brings joy into your life. He is your God. It says in verse nine, who has kept our soul among the living. Now, we don't have any idea that phrase right now. We don't know this incredible miracle of God to keep our lives among the living. Not in this life. We're going to die. But we're not going to die. We're going to have this living in the land of the living. Living in the land of the flourishing on this renewed earth. Verse 10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Verse 12, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This is your life. God is testing you. God is trying you. You have times where this false narrative is infringing and encroaching upon your life and you have to choose which narrative you're going to live in. And you're going to have times of worry and anxiety that you have to choose whether or not you're going to trust God or whether or not you're not going to trust God. God is trying you. God is testing you. But he is going to bring you out to a place of abundance. He is going to bring you through the waters to the promised land. He is going to bring you through death to life. This is the bigger story your life is in. And so even now you can shout for joy to God and sing the glory of his name and say to God, how awesome are your deeds, your your works of redemption in my life, your works of salvation in my life, your works of bringing resurrection in my life, your works of uniting me to Christ in his death and in his resurrection and in his being seated already in the heavenly realm. Already I am there. Already I am part of this. And so I rejoice. I have this joy in my life even now. And so I worship you. I say to you, how awesome are your deeds toward the children of man and that you have kept my soul among the living. All right, let's take some time and actually pray this and let this soak in our lives in a way that merely reading it and talking about it can't do. Let's do that. Would you pray with me? Let me lead you in prayer. 
Oh God, I shout for joy. I shout for joy to you because you have done it. You have done far more than I even can imagine right now. And yet I know this story that I am in because I am in Christ is an incredible story, a story of awesome deeds of redemption, awesome deeds of salvation, awesome deeds of resurrection and restoration. You have united me to Christ in his death, and so I don't have to die for my sins. You have united me to Christ in his resurrection, in his life. I will have a resurrection and restore. My life will be restored to what you intended it to be in Genesis chapter 1, this body of glory, this body of life, this body of being in the image of God and being able to rule over creation, continue the works of God without sin, without death, without disease, without jealousy, without envy, without insecurity, because you will be my God forever and I will have a body forever like Christ's resurrected body. That new creation has already begun in the resurrection of Jesus. This is the story my life is in, and so I shout for joy to you, God. I sing the glory of your name. I say to you, God, how awesome are your deeds, deeds that I can't even see right now, deeds that I often forget, but I say to you, how awesome are your deeds. And I shout for joy because your joy, the joy of your Holy Spirit, is your desire for me, is your goal for me. This is the path of my Christian life. This is the end. Not a dead-end story that these other narratives have, but this story of eternal joy, rejoicing. And so I worship you. I worship you because you're worthy of my worship. I shout for joy to you because you are the God of glory. You are the God who brings me into this story of life and restoration and glory. And so I sing praises. I say praises to your name, your name, the I am, your name, the giver of life, your name, the source of all that exists, your name, the one who has always existed. You are and you were and you are to come because you are the I am and you are always with me. You are always my God. You always will be my God. There is never a time when you will not be in the present tense with me and the present tense, my God. And so I come and I see what you have done. I will one day say, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. What you have given us, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what you have prepared for me. And so I give praise to you. I give thanks to you. I worship you. I bow to you. I want your will for my life because your will is good. Your will is joy for me. Your will is life for me. Your will is glory for me, that I would glory in your glory. And there is no other story. There is no other narrative. There is no other life that doesn't end in a dead end except your story. Your story is joy. Your story is this awesomeness. Your story is this glory. Your salvation for me is joy. Your salvation for me is life. Bless our God. I bless my God. Bless you. I praise you because you are my God, my protector, my salvation, my fortress, my deliverer, my good shepherd. You are my God, and I can trust in you. I submit to you. I rely upon you. I seek you. I follow you. 
I pursue you. You have kept my soul among the living when I deserve to die, when I deserve to be let go by you, when I deserve to simply be let go into death because I walk away from you over and over and over. And yet you are merciful and you are gracious and you hold on to me and you grip me in your hands and you don't let me go and you keep my soul among the living. And so I rejoice in you. I shout for joy to you. I give thanks to you. I say how Awesome are your deeds toward me because you will bring me out to a place of abundance. You will bring me out to a place of joy and life and beauty and glory on a renewed earth in a renewed resurrected body that you will be my God forever and there will never be death. There will never be separation. There will never be sin, disease, loss, but glory and joy and beauty in the presence of God forever. This is the bigger life, the bigger story that I want to live in as a follower of Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.